Hello and welcome to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Rangers had the chance to join Celtic in the knockout stages of the Europa League, but they couldn't do it. A draw in Rotterdam takes it right down to the wire. We know about the title race in Scotland, but have you seen the bottom half of the table? Jesus! Three points separate six teams. Are hearts too good to go down? They should probably think about appointing a manager sometime soon, that's for sure. Aberdeen have appointed a new chairman. They're embracing the almighty dollar. We'll be phoning up Sports Illustrated to find out what the Dons can expect from their strategic partnership with Atlanta. Plus, we'll be at Battlefield, where the country's oldest football club are turning professional. I'm Andrew Slavin, and alongside me from The Telegraph, he's pretty old, but he's also a pro. It's JJ Bull. Hello, JJ. What's good? Pussycat. <laughs> no, that's not how it goes at all. Oh, and next to him, from Copper 90, it's Finn Marks. Hello. Finn, have you done anything on Atlanta United? Uh, we have actually at Copper 90, yeah. We've done quite a few bits with them. They're a really cool club. A big fan of their kit as well. Red, black and gold. Always a good colour. I think also they'd fit in quite well with Scottish football. They play in an artificial surface. Even in their new stadium? It, in the new stadium, yeah, which is breathtaking. Yeah, it's, it's awesome, nuts. isn't it? It's, it's in the roof, the yeah. way it, t- it curls in. It, it's almost like a flower. It's, it's special, isn't it? Yes. Last week in the podcast, guys, we speculated on Scotland's chances in their Euro 2020 playoffs. We know that it's Scotland versus Israel at Hamden in March. And if we get through that, there's no two games in the, the ties, so it's one game, one winner. Um, we would then travel to Norway or Serbia four days later um, to see who gets into Euro 2020. What do we think of our chances? Do you think it's a good draw? Bad draw? Come on, I, I, tell I, me. I don't think there was much surprise in the draw, to be honest, because it was, it was all pretty much figured out before they went in to do the draw. I, I think of the four teams we could have potentially faced, I think Israel's probably the most favourable draw. Because mm. we'd the faced them already. Well, exactly. It, yeah. We know exactly how, we, how they play. We've already beaten them at Hamden, you know, within the last 18 months or so. Even given the other teams that are in the draw, I was never really hugely concerned, especially mm. knowing we were playing at home. I think we can take any of those teams at home. It's really all about the game after that. Norway, potentially, we've got a bit more of a chance with. I think going to Belgrade is is a big ask. But, um, you know, we do need to get through the Israel game, first of all. You take into account the players that Norway have, the players that Serbia have, JJ. It's not going to be an easy task, despite that Steve Clark has time to, to analyse both teams. I mean, they play so few games, though. There's not much analysis you can do. And there's also not an awful lot that managers can really do with international teams. I think a lot of it comes down to how good the players are. Like the man- players that are available to us, you mean? Well, to anyone. Like, So a manager comes in at international level and they'll get maybe three days of training before a game, maybe five. If they're lucky, Joachim Löw at Germany, he's had so long there. So Germany, those teams are in his image because he's managed to build them and, and uh, bring through the youth players that come through now and playing in a certain way that he has set. Mm. Whereas Steve Clark's come into... I mean, Scotland have always played a certain way. It's always 4-5-1, right? It's always that. So you kind of know what you're doing. But when you play teams like Norway and Serbia who have individual stars, like we're talking last week, all you really need at international level is one great player... And the rest to be all right, like like Wales, who have Gareth Bale and ex, ex well, and Ramsey, yeah, yeah. and Meffin, they're all right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, we've got John McGinn, 
So in midfield, <laughs> who's still scoring a barrel of goals for yeah. us? Which and now, also anyway. we've got Ryan Jack, who's finally starting games for Scotland. And I think just the uh, we've talked about him a lot in the podcast, but the, I just think the balance he brings to that midfield is so much better than trying to play, you know, fourteen attacking midfielders yeah. in games. It just gives us such a better balance throughout the team. Uh, are you and suggesting someone, that someone... Real Madrid should be paying one hundred and twenty million for? Ryan Jack. The, the only way I've, I've not said that. The only thing I would, <laughs> I would back up Finn and say Jack knows a lot of the players that he's playing around. He'll know Callum McGregor. You know what I mean? He'll know some of these players already. Bringing in a Scott McTominay. Okay, he's playing at Manchester United. We get it, but it's much harder to come in. We've looked at it with Andrew Robertson, a, a player who has so much freedom, but at the end of the day, he's playing with players who don't ever have that freedom so it's harder to play a similar style of game that you're playing domestically in international football so I, I can agree with you Finn I think Finn Jack Ryan Jack is a good addition Finn Jack Finn Jack he's going to be a great <laughs> it's player it's a better name but yeah to, to, to sum it all up for we move on we're going to get done by Serbia <laughs> you're listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show in association with Paddy Power lovely ball over the top of Gertrude for Ryan Kent to whip one in for Alfredo Morelos! Rolls it for Barisic. Great ball in! Somehow it had to be Alfredo Morelos again! Guys, it was another thriller in the Europa League as Rangers went top of Group G with a 2-2 draw away at Feyenoord. They're top, but they're not through because Porto's win away at Young Boys means Rangers still need a point at home to the Swiss side in a fortnight's time. Yeah, they'll get that, wouldn't they? At, at Ibrox, surely this is this is a brilliant position for Rangers to be in. They what look, a great they campaign look good tonight, man! Like a lot of nice one-touch passing, really good movement. I think in the second half, I think the first half, as has been a bit of a problem with Rangers in quite a few games this season, they just they, a lack of confidence. They don't believe in themselves enough, so they just sure. take a bit of time to get going. And by that point, Feyenoord had already scored, and and actually McGregor made it quite a few good saves. They'd missed a couple of big chances, but sometimes it's not how you start; it's how you finish. Two goals for Alfredo Morelos, just adding the pound signs to him. He's been exceptional in Europe. He's now the first Rangers player ever to score in four European games in a row. He was magnificent, like, and and it's not just the goals, both of which were superbly taken headers, and he's about half a foot shorter than both of their centre backs. But um, it it was everything else, like his hold up play, not just in this game, but in in, in all the European matches, is, it was unbelievable. His, his first touch is great. Mm. It sounds stupid, but even from throw-ins, when he's the guy who's got to receive it, it's perfect every time. Like every touch he makes is exactly where it's meant to go. I, I don't understand this feeling, but I really like. Alfredo Morelos. Oh, he's excellent. <laughs> he is absolutely excellent. And he's went, to a, he's went to a different level this season. What totally do do? different What do level. I do with this? What? I think <laughs> you just have to just accept it. it. <laughs> just accept it. Do I, do look, I accept look, it? I think you'll all enjoy a stat, because this is quality. Alfredo Morelos has equaled Henrik Larsson's record of 12 European goals scored in a single season for a Scottish club, which was set in 2002-03. And there's still more to come. Yeah, there could be. Steven Gerrard has said Rangers will not be selling Morelos in January not even for £50 million do you think if £50 million came in they would maybe have a second thought yes uh, yes <laughs> <laughs> fair enough I, I think it's more I think his, his tongue's kind of in his cheek when he says stuff like that but I think it's more just the kind of the, the statement of intent that it says which is that Rangers are desperate to hold on to their best players and Morelos 
I think, as well as Kent is maybe potentially in that, but Morelos for sure. He's so important, just as we were saying there, not just to, for the goals that he scores, but for the way that he involves the whole team. But there was Saint a couple as well, make, make sure his value is, is set so people know that if they won't accept 50 million. It means that people can't go in with anything less than 20 because they yeah. know that's what the, the valuation is. So I reckon that teams like Everton and big English Premier League teams are going to come in from Morelos in, the, in January because so many teams need a striker. There's very few... I think we said this like exact same thing last week. Very few teams who have a good number nine. Morelos is properly good. Like he's legit a great yeah, player yeah, yeah, yeah. already and would be worth more as a sell-on. So if he goes to a smaller, like maybe a Southampton, something like that first and then goes somewhere else after. It'd be very dangerous for Rangers to sell, but there was a few other players that, that, that did well for, for them tonight. You know, really good work from, from first Ryan Kent, who got the assist for the Aye, equaliser. Stunning cross, stunning bit second, of skill. The second touch the is my favourite yeah, in this goal. Yeah. So he take, the ball comes over the top to the left. He takes his first touch on his left foot, I think, to control it. And then he shifts it onto his right, but as he's sort of as he's shifting his weight, he pokes it forward, so the other def- the defender doesn't have a chance to adjust his balance to yeah. get onto it. So he's got room for the cross. And then Borna Barisic, almost similar, came in from the left, cross in, and another world class header. They could have got the job done, um, but Feyenoord had quite a quick reply. You know, Rangers, as much as they're maybe good at going forward, they've still got that little hint of fragility at the back. They do. They kind of switch off, and there were there were glimpses of that in the game against Hamilton, and there have been in other games this season. I think though on the whole like if you'd said to Rangers fans before the group stage started you'd be heading into your home game your last game top of the group and all you need to do is get a point against <laughs> young boys I think they would have bitten your hand off yeah well up next for Rangers managerless hearts at Ibrooks on Sunday um, hearts were hammered last Saturday uh, we've spoken about Kilmarnock's Achilles heel being their lack of goals then they go and score three in the first 16 minutes against Hearts and it was game over. The big thing that's been hanging over Hearts is the fact that they have no manager. Austin McPhee has been in charge now for three games, I think, and we've seen three three-piece suits. He certainly wants the job, um, but do we think he's um, shown anything to suggest he deserves it full-time um, before we go on and talk about some of the runners and riders? don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. I would like to think, because he's young, I like the idea that these guys get a chance and they can do something with it. But the problem is he can't transform that team because no manager can in two games. It'll take a long time. The players they've signed are still bidding in. They're still getting uh, injured players back. But I, I reckon maybe this Rangers game coming up could be where McPhee proves whether he's a good coach. He can set up a team properly because I don't think anyone expects them to beat Rangers. I mean, that's... That would be mental, right? Yeah. But if he can put in a performance where they show where they can either defend the way they're supposed to, and there's a clear plan in place, then that you can't control individual players. They do something stupid. That's not something he can control. But if he puts the plan in place and it's it's clear what he was trying to do, then that would give him a lot of credit going into an interview. So for why, the job. why is this game any different from the semi final at Hamden? I don't know if it will be, to be honest. Like, I, I, especially watching the way that they played against Kamarnik at the weekend, like they were absolutely rotten. Mm-hmm. I don't see much changing, changing this weekend. So, so what about what about Daniel Stendel then? This, this is a guy who got sacked from Barnsley, but the fans love this guy. Do you hear this story that um, Barnsley fans threw him a? a going away party yeah. <laughs> they sort of threw him a leaving party and um, there's a great photo of him doing shots with, with all the fans there's a video of it as but well is, there, yeah. taking the shots is that away. like when Michael Scott throws a party for Toby in the office <laughs> <laughs> maybe like he's going away yeah he's going away I don't know uh, how old is uh, Stendhal so he's 45 so that's a sort of decent age the problem is that 
you know, according to my theory that any decent manager has won something at any level by the age of 43, he does not adhere to that. So the one good thing he's got is that at Hanover, his win percentage is 50% at Hanover, which is decent, right? But then at Barnsley, he had, what, he had a a year and a a bit Mm -hmm. at Barnsley, and it's 47% roughly. And he did get promotion with Barnsley as well. Yeah. and Did get them into the championship. But those leagues are very hard, like... The lower leagues in England are just ridiculous. It's very yo-yo. It's it's all about who wants it more. Genuine. I don't think mm. you can do much for your tactical setups in that leagues. So th- that's something. But he has played at a good level. Doesn't mean he'll be a good manager. And Budge said they wanted a big name. Is Stendhal a big name? That's no, a bit five letters. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. Wouldn't score very high in Scrabble. Why do you is want it, a name? Is it inspiring? It's so stupid. Why is she saying she wants a name? It should be the best person, the best candidate. Yeah, you make a the, good point. I think the best candidate for Hearts would be someone who is ambitious and going places. Could be there for three years, maybe. I, I can't think of an example, but just someone Stephen who's got Naismith. something about them. Well, I mean, that's what we're saying. Yeah, but, you know, he sort of is the managerish on the on the pitch. I wonder whether they they consider it. it would you do it if you were Anne Budge? Would you give Stephen Naismith a shout? No, no. just get rid. <laughs> okay, fine. No, no, no. I'm not being I, serious. Thing I'm not running yeah. uh, a football club. I think with, with Stendhal, like he, like as you're saying, JJ, he might be that person who's ambitious, who can take the team and the club in 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 a direction that nobody else can. I do just wonder though the thing with like you know it's very de rigueur to have a tactical Ooh. genius German manager you know it's like it's you can't like, play that high press kind of game in Scotland you can't do it well exactly you know the players for but it but I think just everybody thinks like oh we want the Jurgen Klopp you know for a while yeah. it was Portuguese managers you know you had like Mourinho stuff coming through then you had VH Boas and all that kind of thing and, and then with this it's like it's Klopp it's Wagner it's like oh who was his mates you know cousins brother's youth coach at somewhere else near Dortmund Who's or whatever. currently like, anywhere near the yeah. Dortmund too. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I don't know if there's a bit of that in it as well. I would throw in my thing saying I would I would absolutely love to see Neil Warnock in the Premiership. <laughs> I would love to see Neil Warnock there. Mm-hmm. So forget what I just said about having a young manager in charge of all that. <laughs> I actually really think, genuinely, that Neil Warnock would make them punch well above their weight. He's, he's perfect. perfect. He's perfect, not for hearts, but for Scottish football. Just to go back to um, the actual game, uh, and from Rangers' point of view, this is actually one of the few home games that Rangers have got between now and Christmas. If you take it from the the Porto game that was Ibrox on the 7th of November, Rangers have or have had a a run of 11 matches to see out the end of 2019. Only three of them are at home, and that's Hearts, Young Boys and Kilmarnock. And then Celtic in the same period, since winning away in Rome, also have 11 matches, seven of which are at home. Mm. So I think this is actually uh, quite a defining part of the season for Rangers. I think it'll tell us a lot about the actual seriousness of their credentials as potential title challengers and how far they can actually push Celtic. This is the Totally Scottish Football Show with Andrew Slaven and JJ Bull. It's been a seismic week at Aberdeen with the ownership of the club changing hands. US-based businessman Dave Cormack has taken over from Stuart Milne as chairman, bringing with him a £5 million investment into the club. The Dons are also partnering up with MLS side Atlanta United and we're joined now by Luis Miguel Echegaray from Sports Illustrated. Luis, did I say your name correctly? <laughs> You said it beautifully, actually. I am very impressed. You have no idea how many people butcher it. You (laughs) did it perfectly. Oh, man, I feel so good about that. Atlantis president Darren Eels is also joining the Aberdeen board. What can you tell us about him as far as MLS presidents go? 
So I think we know a little bit about the history of Darren Eels. Obviously, was part of the Tottenham uh, structure that brought in uh, and that actually made deals such as Gareth Bale's exit to Real Madrid and, you know, the Robbie Keane transfer to, you know, to MLS itself. So he obviously has a long history in terms of uh, strategy and player development and focus. But I think it's fair to say that Darren Eels, um, you know, with Atlanta United, has almost, um, I wouldn't even say almost, I would say definitely revolutionized the way we think about an MLS president. We have to think about a few things. First of all, uh, the context of Atlanta United as a whole. The owner, Arthur Blank, who owns the Atlanta Falcons, the NFL team, wanted to obviously get himself in the game in MLS. Uh, One of the biggest issues was obviously creating a team from scratch in a city that pretty much didn't have a soccer atmosphere or a soccer reputation. Obviously, there are soccer fans there, but no major team to call their own. And so his first appointment was Darren Eels. And one of the things that he wanted to make sure was that he wanted to kind of make a 180 from what any other team has done in the past. As we all know, uh, you know, definitely from a European perspective, MLS is mostly known for bringing in aging European stars, right? Your Robbie Keens, even David Beckham, Zlatan Ibrahimovic. But Darren Eels, actually, what he did was he wanted to switch the script. He wanted to flip it. He wanted to bring in young South American talent. And instead of bringing in aging stars, rather uh, folks that could represent, you know, the city's multicultural personality as well as what's on the field. I mean, and look at Miguel Almiron, for example. He's not doing that great with Newcastle, but it's a huge you know, success in terms of MLS to Euro transfers, Joseph Martinez as well, and the major acquisition at the beginning, which was Tata Martino, Gerardo Tata Martino, the the, the manager uh, for Atlanta United. So for him, it was about developing a brand new culture for Atlanta with this team, and he did it from scratch. I mean, they won the MLS Cup in its second season. Uh, its opening game was over 72,000 people attending. It has an average of about 40,000 season ticket holders. It's just an unbelievable culture that he has created in Atlanta. So the the partnership's been described as a, a strategic one, uh, but who do you think gets the better out of the deal? And do you expect to see Atlanta players going to Aberdeen or maybe the other way around? Yeah, I'd probably think of this as a 50-50, to be honest, guys. I think that obviously we know in many ways, the Scottish League and MLS are kind of share similarities, right? They're, they, they're not as big as the Premier League or other well-known leagues, but they still have a tremendous following, incredible passion, talented players. And I think that's where really, you know, their relationship can benefit from each other. I think that you probably will see Aberdeen gets, uh, you know, a lot of knowledge in terms of academy development and the way that it builds you know, a youthful transition. But the other thing is, as Aberdeen is building a new stadium, you know, I think that's where Atlanta United can really come in and help them uh, sort of learn the whole fan experience on match day. For example, you know, when the players at Atlanta United move to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, you know, they arrive early at the stadium, they have lunch there, and then they get on a bus and they make a sort of a drive round the block so fans can welcome them like on a red carpet, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Then there's like food, music, culture. I think that that's where Darren Neal's and Atlanta United is really going to help Aberdeen as they begin a new, you know, journey with a new stadium. Both fan bases are obviously so passionate, but I think that from a business perspective, from a marketing side, that's where Aberdeen can really, really take a lot of, uh, you know, knowledge and, and, and backdrop. 
I'm not sure how well the uh, a bus ride round the fairly empty West Hill <laughs> would work for Aberdeen. <laughs> it's a little village. Hello. Maybe, maybe the local bus will will be enough. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> at least you you were talking just there about the similarities between the MLS and the game in Scotland. Just on that, and kind of moving away from specifically Atlanta and. Aberdeen to more broadly the MLS there are a couple of Scottish players kind of plying their trade over there in the league at the moment Johnny Russell at Sporting Kansas City Gary Mackay-Stevens at New York City how have they performed so far what's the kind of general consensus on them and do you think that more Scottish players should be looking to come to the MLS yeah good question um Gary Mackay-Stevens is an you know interesting one obviously he only arrived in June played 12 matches after his arrival so, you know, I think he's looking more to make a bigger impact in his second year in 2020. He was one of the players protected uh, in MLS. As you may or may not know, what happens pretty much directly after the, the season ends, teams, not every team, but the majority of teams have to basically sign a list of protected players. And then the rest is kind of up for grabs for the new teams. So uh, McKay Stevens was one player protected by NYCFC. So I think he'll be an interesting one to watch out for in the next season. I think Johnny Russell is a, a different one, also 29 years old, but he was you uh, know, sporting KC's offensive player of the year. Nine goals, 11 assists in all competitions. So, you know, he's definitely somebody that's very important to that team. I actually think about also Sam Nicholson, Mm -hmm. uh, kid from Edinburgh, 24-year-old from Colorado Rapids. Um, He should be one to watch out for as well. But I think that Scotland, Scottish talent is one that really should be looked at when it comes to MLS. There is so much undiscovered talent that really can just come to MLS. And just like MLS is using South American, Latin American talent to really grow and, and show themselves, Scotland can do exactly the same thing. Well, speaking of Scottish talent, I think you're quite a big fan of Aston Villa and particularly you share our love of the one and only John McGinn. John McGinn. So <laughs> John McGinn. <laughs> He's better than Sedan. I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> not many not many know this, or they do probably. They follow me on Twitter, but uh, I'm Peruvian, grew up in England, but I'm a lifelong Aston Villa fan now, more than 25 years. And, you know, I have many heroes in the claret and blue. But for me, John McGinn in the last decade is one of the most favorite players I have ever seen for Villa. This kid is incredible. <laughs> we know everything about him from the premiership you know, watching him. But it's no surprise to me that teams like Manchester United are interested in him. He's still young. And I think in October, he was leading us in dribbles and shots attempted and tackling. And you, you just look at him and he doesn't look like a player, like a football player. He looks like a rugby player, but he doesn't. He just doesn't care. And he's just, he has three lungs and such a big heart. And I love John McGinn. Well, listen, you, you should have a Scottish team then. And that should certainly be St. Mirren, considering most of the McGinn family come from there. You got Stephen oh. McGinn, you got Paul McGinn. They're all they're all John's brothers. Oh, forget about it. St. Mirren's already my team. Listen, oh, wow, there when, you go. When I talk to my uh, when I talk to my family in Peru, you know, you know, we say you know San Miren, you know, because we have two double R's in there. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that sounds uh, way more uh, exotic than how they pronounce it in Paisley. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a huge change for Aberdeen. Stuart Mellon's been there for twenty-two years. What is it? What is it? he's still going to be at the club though, isn't he? He's not leaving really. He'll be on as, a, as an advisory board, one of those sort of silent board members. He's got no money in it, but he wanted to get out for quite a while. I think he seemed like <laughs> Stuart Milne's been great for the club, but he always looks like he's had four pints in the weight of playing snooker, <laughs> and I think that's just from the weight of pressure he's had. On one hand, it's really exciting. On the other hand, it's just 
it's not going to change things hugely. It's a, lot, a bit of investment coming in, which sure. is needed. There's a bit of uh, working capital there to play with. I'm not sure if that goes towards the budget for playing staff or anything like that. But the, the big things on the agenda are still that the stadium's not been financed. They need to secure uh, financing for that. And uh, Cormac the other day did say that Pataudry is not ruled out as mm. being refired because it got valued at 11 million, which is substantially less than 15, 20 they thought they would get for it. So if they can't raise the capital to build at Kingsford, which is the plan, then uh, then they would think of other things. And, you know, they could, I guess, construct st- like stand by stand mm. to try and build that. It's possible, but they need the money to come in for somewhere. Finn, what, what do you think about this big change? Because when, when the news broke, it looked like, on the face of it, you know, it could be a huge amount of investment coming in. I think it's a really encouraging thing. And I think with the, the kind of new investment coming into Hibs as well this season, and also you've seen Park Thistle just in the last week um, kind of literally winning the lottery. The lottery. <laughs> yeah. Don't you <laughs> get money behind them now? Yeah, yeah big American I, behind him as well. I think, I mean, you're always kind of weary because I remember this is kind of where the Scottish game was round about 1990-2000 with mm. the start of the Premiership and Roger Mitchell had these incredible ideas of basically making us trying to copy the English Premier League. But it, it makes sense in a lot of ways to try and follow those models and to try and update the game, bring that kind of investment in because I think for leagues like MLS or, or, or leagues that are slightly outside of you know the elite, the top five leagues, Scotland's a really good place for people to invest money to bring through young talent to have not feeder clubs but partner clubs and and to have these initiatives where you can kind of make your mm. um, enterprises more global. I think it's such a good thing for Scottish football but Scotland as a country as well to have that more international outlook. Look, it's, it's Aberdeen v St Mirren on Saturday. You know, it was a huge win for St Mirren last week but Aberdeen were feeling pretty hard done by on the pitch when it comes to refereeing decisions. Dirk McInnes said officials need to be better after Kevin Clancy failed to spot Wallace Duffy's handball in the 1-1 draw at St Johnston. But is it is that not a bit harsh? That, that handball, as much as it was a handball, it's hard because you have to be 100% well, with these decisions. See, see uh, when I watched it on, on TV, I watched the game live, yeah. I didn't see the handball when it happened. And the replays, you can see, oh, it's obvious now, but I think at the time it's hard. The, what I think is interesting is that every single person who's at that game who I've spoken to, and including like McInnes, anyone you talk to, they saw instantly it was a, yeah. a penalty. I mean, the refereeing's dreadful in Scotland. It's been the same but, for, but, for a while. But, 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 but that's not the, why they drew with St. Johnson. Yeah, of course, they, they also had enough time to beat a nine-man St. Johnston because St. Johnston had two men sent off. Maybe, but I mean, I mean, uh, you see it quite often. It is hard to break down a team with ten, let alone nine, who sit behind the ball. You've got to move the ball quickly. I don't think they, they, they changed it enough. So, like, for example, when they were down to nine men, St. Johnston, so what happens normally, what I see, especially in the English Premier League, or just in, maybe Celtic would do it, is that the centre-backs would then push up to near past halfway because they can squeeze the pitch because there's no one going to threaten them. But McKenna and Devlin were still standing about 10 15 yards aside their own half while we're trying to push to try and get onto St Johnston. So you get all this space between striker and defender you don't need to have. They're All you're going to do is shell it clear. Mm-hmm. Lewis can come off his line and then recycle it. And I don't see why they wouldn't have naturally thought to push up. I wonder whether McKenna doesn't want them to do it because they're not fast enough to keep up with something over the top. But it seems a bit of a bit of a miss. Uh, but I mean, Aberdeen, I think I've, I read... That I, I'm going to butcher this stat, but I think this is Aberdeen's best or second best start under McInnes since he's been there. The amount of points they've got after this stage of the season. And three... It certainly doesn't feel like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens to people. The better you do, the more people expect from you. Sure. Like we talked about last week, the, the top two are they're miles away you can't yeah, do it's, a diff- that. it's a different level at the moment yeah but, and even with the, even with the money from Atlanta coming in there's not that's not going to be able to, to bridge that gap sure but let's talk about some I mentioned it was a big win on Saturday but they, they followed that up with a, a defeat um, to Hibs on Tuesday but they played quite well in that game 
They beat Aberdeen back in August in Paisley. They're the only side yet to take a point away from home. Seven defeats out of seven on the road. And Greenock Morton, actually, are the only other team in Scotland's top four tiers who are pointless away from home. I, That's I, how bad it is, really. Yeah, it's it's not great. I, I, do, I feel really sorry for St Mirren because I, I, whenever I've seen bits of their games, I think they play kind of decent football especially going forward yeah. they've made themselves very difficult to beat at home but it's it's this away form as well I read actually there was um, one St Mirren fan on Twitter kind of summed up the game against Hibs during the week and uh, just a tweet that read St Mirren on the attack 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 penalty to Hibs it's like <laughs> that, that's what the game felt like yeah. it was such a shame they're not great in the final third like against Hibs they had a few chances but they weren't high quality chances they are really no. low always from distance always difficult I think their biggest problem they need a finisher um, I think there was a point on Tuesday night in the game against Hibs. It was a long ball played over the top, and it was uh, Jonathan Abika that's playing up front. Who's actually he's quite decent at holding uh, yeah, up the ball. Okay, he comes yeah. from a good level as well. There's a piece in the BBC with him this week, and he was talking about how he grew up in the same youth academy as like Ryan Mason, Harry Kane. Like they're playing with these boys. Although interestingly, I thought most of the players he named have dropped back into deeper positions. Like <laughs> Adam Smith at Bournemouth is playing like right back and stuff. I'm like, well, yeah. why? Maybe you should maybe have a. <laughs> I did, that. Like he he holds up the ball brilliantly, but he can't finish. And uh, I think there was uh, Danny Mullen had a really good chance that came off the post. Uh, later on and it felt right in front of Ibika is essentially an open goal the goalkeeper's already dived and he still puts oh, it no, miles I think that's hard that was a hard to turn in I think I, I think that was a tough one I don't know I d- no? it, it wasn't the only chance as well there, there yeah. were a couple that they kind of he, he kind of made a mess of and uh, I j- they need a finisher they need somebody who's going to stick the ball in it especially in their th- these these games where at the moment they might be drawing but they need to turn those into three points yeah. well, I like Danny Mullen I do. I think he's decent right? Danny Mullen scores really good goals and then messes all the easy ones <laughs> so this this game certainly screams draw Back to the Europa League now, where Celtic, who are already qualified, hosted Wren, who are already out. Here's Finn with what went down. The final score, Celtic 3, Wren 1. Uh, it was an incredibly comfortable night, actually, for Celtic all-in, as they confirmed they'll finish top of their group in the Europa League, thanks to Lazio beating Cluj. They were in cruise control for large parts of the game, and they went in at the break already 2-0 up. Uh, a lovely, well-worked opener from Lewis Morgan in a rare start, who was playing as a makeshift centre-forward as uh, Neil Lennon rested Edson Edward. Uh, the second came just before the, the halftime whistle, Ryan Christie beating the Ren goalkeeper at his near post with a powerful strike, but I think the keeper could possibly have done better. Celtic added to that lead as well later on in the, the second half. Uh, Mikey Johnson, who was on as a sub for James Forrest, fired in a wonderful strike low across the goal from an acute angle. Wren tested Celtic a couple of times in the second half, but Fraser Forster was equal to pretty much everything they threw at him. He was excellent again tonight, as he has been throughout most of the group stages for Celtic. Although he'll be disappointed uh, for his defence, kind of switching off just towards the end as uh, Honu uh, beat the offside trap to nod in a consolation just before full time. So Celtic confirmed as winners of Group E tonight, four points ahead of Cluj, who they play in their final match next week. And Celtic are currently on 13 points after five games. Only Sevilla have more points in the group stages than the Hoops at this point. So it's Ross County at Dingwall on Sunday for the Champions League. Griffiths is back, everyone. Um, we discussed a couple of weeks ago that we wanted him to be in our Scotland team when fully fit. I think Lee Griffiths being back fit is good for Scottish football. Oh, definitely. Um, it's been a long time coming, so hopefully he's able to get up to speed quite quickly. I think for Celtic it'll be a good thing as well because 
they're kind of one injury to Edward away from not having a huge amount of options up front. Yeah. Um, oh, how will they get on? <laughs> how will they survive? <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's good to have him back. And I think you've definitely seen that in the Scotland games in the last year or so, like how much we lack yeah. having that kind of focal point. And also somebody that can take a banging free kick. I mean, he's, he's certainly going to be someone who will be a kind of impact substitute for a long time I think he's not going to be the main man unless there's an injury to Edward um, but it's going to be hard to kind of get him out of the way let's talk about Ross County without a win in eight games they're in the worst run in the Premiership and uh, even the chairman saying that he would take 10th right now no that's reserved for Hamilton Every season, <laughs> he knows that. He it's knows hard. That. It's hard for Ross County because they've had a hard. Well, they've. Always, I've just said it. No win in eight games, and then they have to face Celtic. How can you prepare yourself for for a game like this? They all prepare in the same way. They just prepare to like make sure you don't lose your man. Make sure you. But they give did. It your all. They tried this against Rangers not too long ago, and Rangers were emphatic. And yeah, but they're just too. Well. They're just too good. Those teams. Like you can sometimes you can get sometimes you get lucky, and sometimes your plan works just dead right. But the plan tends to be that you press them high where you can and you immediately drop into a low block, not even in mid, just like drop in like as deep as you can, frustrate, try and hit them and get with the pitch. But you gain territory a bit like rugby and then come away with that. Ross County, again, are another team who are just so far away from Rangers. It's not, I mean, they could easily be in a championship still. And they're, the board would have planned to finish 10th. That would be their ambition, just to survive the season. And if they get there, that would be actually a job quite well done mm-hmm. and they can improve from there I mean what are you going to say about Celtic Celtic should win every single game this year well, they, the last time apart from con- maybe the Rangers game the last time they conceded in the Premiership was over seven and a half hours ago um, <laughs> that was Lyndon Dyke's goal for Livingston and what a goal who also wants to play for Scotland himself but anyway I, I that's another story um, I, I mean Celtic were in pretty good shape against Levy at the weekend I, I, it's not even being ridiculous to say they could have scored nine or ten against Levy Levy were absolutely hopeless but um, I don't know this game Dingwall can be a hard place to go but I, I don't think Celtic will have much trouble I don't think it'll be the kind of you know the cricket score 6-0 that it was in October but I think Celtic will be pretty comfortably taking the three points back to Glasgow I think it could quite easily be a cricket like a 6-0 if they if Celtic score early it could be but otherwise I'd imagine they'll, they, if they can hold them for 20, 30, 40 minutes they can come away with a 3-0 defeat I'm Jose Mourinho I know a thing or two about being special football pundits who actually understand management special winning the daily jackpot on Paddy Power Games not special Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus begumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Scottish Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Scotland's oldest football club have been making the headlines over the last couple of weeks as Queen's Park fans voted to turn the club professional. The Spiders have been an amateur side for 152 years and we're joined now by Keith McAllister, a man who's been working for and watching the club for how long now, Keith? Oof, 55 years. And how many games do you reckon you've been to then? I have no idea. I haven't missed a competitive game home or away for 40 years. So I've been going since I was seven years old and um, since I've been about 12, I've been going home and away fairly religiously. 
And have you worked for the club in various capacities? Is that right? Well, with all with all small clubs, you do find that supporters get involved in things. Well, I was on the, I was one of the directors a wee while ago. Um, so I've do sold programs, cleared snow off the pitch. I run the souvenir shop just now. Um, the secretary of the supporters association. I've run the supporters buses to their away matches. Okay, it's it's just a typical small team um, where so many people just get involved and, and, and just want to help out. What's your uh, what's your take on the move to go professional? Why was it necessary? Necessary for, for a number of reasons. The, the world's caught up with Queen's Park and amateurism. Um, I'm very dyed in the wool. I, I, I'm not one of the people who, who went to see Queen's Park because they were an amateur side. I went to see Queen's Park because they were a local team. They just happened to be amateur and it was just great because we are very... Uh, distinctive, unique, and we play at Hampden Park. Uh, it's just quite wonderful the the everything that was behind Queen's Park. But um, the world has moved on. A couple of things we are very conscious of the threat of the teams coming through the Lowland League, Lowland League Highland League, um, to potentially take our place in the, the division. So that's a real concern to us, and you can see that some of these teams are very, very well equipped and um, we've lost East Stirlingshire and Berwick Rangers already and I'm sure more will go over the next few years as the likes of the Bonnie Rig Rose and East Kilbride or whoever get better and better. So that's one real concern that the football club had. Because we're amateur, we find it difficult to sign players and halfway through the season, if we come to the January transfer window, we can't do anything about a problem with our team. We can't go out and sign guys. It's difficult for us to get loan players because the team who um, the loan player plays for, they're looking for a, a, a contribution to his salary. So we don't do that at the moment. Um, we are losing our youth players um, through a kink in the, the regulations, which says that amateur players do not receive a compensation for training. If, if we had our youth players on a professional contract and paying them minimum wage, or even if we had offered them a contract and they'd turn it down, we are allowed to claim uh, it's a set amount for compensation. We can't do that because we're an amateur site, and this is something which apparently is peculiar to Scotland and the SFA. So we had four players who left us over the summer, youth players. We got about 10 games between the four of them. We've been training them for years. One of the boys has been with us, I think, eight years. We would have, under this calculation, got over £90,000 for these guys, and we got not a bean, nothing. Uh, because they are on amateur contracts. So I suppose that's the crux of it. We're also, we've been put out of Hamden, essentially. We've sold the ground to the SFA at a ridiculous knockdown price, but we're in a, a difficult situation there. We had no option. So one of the attractions for our potential players is you get to play at Hamden every second week. So if you're a guy playing for perhaps a junior side and you get the prospect to come and play at Hamden with all the facilities, um, it's a real draw. 
it's a real draw and we won't have that as of next year. So it's been, as you would say, a perfect storm and the world has just moved on. Football's moved on. Unfortunately, to dinosaurs like myself, we've had to embrace professionalism. But we have to do it and we have to look at the positives of it because the club is not its history. 152 fantastic years. The club is not its history. It has to be its future. The club say it'll be a, diffi- a difficult transition, um, which must put some importance in the academy. I mean, how important do you think the academy will be, will be in the short term? Very important. You only have to look at our first team squad and the number of players that have come through the ranks. We've got a fantastic youth system and Scottish football was littered with products of our youth system, which we don't get to see. We don't get to see the benefit of all that training. So we get guys are coming in the door, young boys are coming in the door at seven, eight years old and they're, they're staying with us and then they're disappearing at age 13 or 14. Young guys have now got agents. Young amateur players have now got agents. So we're really up against it. One of the good things about the professionals is we can perhaps offer these young guys, the the good young guys, we can now offer them a contract, which hopefully means that we'll get some of the benefit of the training that we've put in, the hard work that they've put in. The academy's been pretty amazing, producing the likes of uh, Andy Robertson, Lauren Shanklin, to name a few. On the pitch, it's been a, a great couple of weeks for the club, beating Championship Queen of the South in the Scottish Cup. Kamarnik away in the next round. Mark Roberts has been in charge for about a year now. What kind of a job do you think he's done? He's done a pretty good job. Perhaps more attacking than the previous manager. Previous manager, Gus McPherson, did, did an absolutely fantastic job. Mark is a, has a slightly different approach. He's signed some really good players in the close season. We lost, it was over 20 players we lost in the close season. And Mark's had to replace them and he's replaced them very well. We have been a wee bit inconsistent this year, but the the game on Saturday at Queen of the South was absolutely fantastic. It was really great, and it was what we were hoping for at the start of the season. The start of the season, the team played really, really well, as near as damn it, all new players, and then we had a dip. But hopefully that's us on the rise again. Queen's Park are located in Battlefield, midway between Celtic and Rangers. So what have the attendances been like this season? Pretty poor. It has to be said, pretty poor. Uh, unfortunately, um, our results at Hamden have been bad. We've done much better away from home. So the attendances really haven't been that great at all. It is very, very difficult to get a decent crowd if you're not Rangers and Celtic. Partick Fizz will find that as well. They can play in the top league in Scotland and still only attract two, two and a half thousand home supporters. So it's a real challenge for us um, trying to get the local people to come along and support us. We do have a number of people who previously supported Rangers or Celtic and for whatever reason, they come along and watch Queen's Park. We've got to be after those people. Uh, Rangers and Celtic very seldom play at three o'clock on a Saturday. We've got to be trying to attract the people who would normally be more interested in Rangers and Celtic. We get them along to see Queen's Park on a Saturday. Time now for the latest odds with our man Lee Price at Paddy Power. Lee, three points separate the bottom six in the Premiership. What's that done to the relegation odds? <laughs> well, this is the question I can only offend people with. It's extraordinarily tight, isn't it? And our odds are moving all the time. 
And what I'm about to say is probably already out of date, but for now, our joint favourites to finish bottom, that's our betting market here ahead of the split, are Hamilton and St Mirren. Ross County just behind them, who are just ahead of St Johnston. Then you've got a bit of a gap to Livingston, an even bigger gap to Hearts, and then Hibs are miles out now, looking at around 100 to 1 that they finish bottom. That's what I call a new manager bounce. Celtic having conceded in the Premiership for over seven hours. So what are the chances of Ross County actually scoring on Saturday? I love that stat. Actually, the odds aren't too bad for Ross County here. It's evens, they score once or more. So very much in the balance. For comparison's sake, Celtic are 1-50 to to score once in this game. And odds on to score at least three times. Ross County 17-1 to to win it. Celtic 1-8 to to get the three points. And finally, we've been talking about the American takeover at Aberdeen. With those dollars at their disposal, where will the Dons finish this season? Well, it's something to bring them straight back down to earth. Uh, the best they can finish, we think, is third. Uh, they're massively odds on the Dons to finish in the top six, of course, no surprise there. And they're also odds on to finish in the top three, or in other words, third. We don't think they're going to break the Glasgow barrier this season, at least. It's two wins out of two for Jack Ross at Hibs. He returned to his old club St Mirren on Tuesday and Stevie Mallon's late penalty was the one to secure three points. Hibs are into the top six now, unbeaten in eight league games and they could go level in points with Saturday's opponents Kilmarnock if they win at Easter Road. I said it before, Jack Ross is amazing and you must always, always say his name in full. <laughs> and I really hope he's not got a middle name because I don't know what it is. <laughs> What do we think of Jack Rossi's impact at the club? I mean, it came off the back of a 4-1 doing of St Johnston, so the interim managers took that and, you know, they played a diamond which worked the two up top, Canberra and, uh, and, and Deutsch. And that was the same against Motherwell, which is a good 3-1 win, and now against Hibs, uh, sorry, against St Mirren, the same shape, the same sort of players. Martin Boyle's come back in it, he won a penalty in that game he was great when he came on actually he won the 52nd minute for Kimberley. that's something that he'll need to, to work out because you have to get Boyle on the team and he needs to play wide so that's something that we'll maybe see I've just made a, a really incredible find here Jack Ross is not Jack Ross's name is his name James? his name's John John okay it's John James Ross so that's, what, that's what Jack is Jack is another name for John yeah. No way. Well, it's like I, it's yeah. the it's the one that baffles me because a lot what? of a, a lot of Scottish nicknames like don't give me that JJ. He's kind of just like shaking his one head. One of like, my best pals is called yeah. Jack, and his name's John. No, because this is like when my I'm gran called my uncle John, but I have to call him Ian. My uncle Ian is my uncle Ian, but when any of my family speak to him, it's like all right, John. But I have to call him Uncle Ian. What's going on? That's just your <laughs> family. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's like there's there's a lot of like Scottish nicknames. Like you would get like um one that also always baffled me is Shuggy or Shug for Hugh. I was like Hugh's monosyllabic. It's one syllable. So why why do you need to turn it into Shuggy? That's it's weird. To know, it's weird one. I, if I'm going to make an argument that we should always call him Jack Ross and call him by his full proper name because he's a full proper good manager. Well, anyway, we should um, go back into this, this game. Hibs come on it coming up, right? So another thing with the shape that's been different since um, uh, Heck and Bottom left is uh, Melker Halberg's been been playing in midfield, bit sturdier. You can't play Allen and Malin there. Sure, Doesn't yeah, work. but I still think there's there's a lot of. I, I don't think it's exactly eradicated. Um, all of Hibbs' defensive inadequacies because no, there's still done. so many, so many gaps still there. But it means you've got two and a one in the midfield. You know, you've got the diamond, so it can become yeah. a four across a flat four. But 
it's basically got your, your six and then two eights just ahead of it and it's very narrow and the fullbacks are ones that might give you width. They've got more bodies in the middle, which is where they were weak. Mm-hmm. People going through the middle of them rather than wide. So that seems to seems to have worked. What about Christian Doidge? He seems to have found his feet. Five goals in three games. It, there was a lot promised of him, um, or there seemed to be a lot of promise for him because he'd scored so many goals down south. Lucky header. Deflection. Well, yeah, I was going to say the goals have been pretty lucky. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. I was like, I think some of the goals he scored, my granny could have, you know, <laughs> quite handily finished them. Is um, she finishing at the back post, leaping above the? Uh... <laughs> she's pretty good. She's a bit of a fox in the box, my oh, granny. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we should talk about Kilmarnock because uh, that's who he's also playing. What, what a game Chris Burke had at the weekend, eh? Well, tell me about it. Well, I will. <laughs> Two goals, one assist. Can't argue with that. And he's uh, he's even older than you, JJ. Is he? Yeah. How old is Chris Burke? Thirty-five. It was an easy game for them in the end because Hearts were immense. <laughs> Terrible. I thought uh, Aaron Hickey had a bit of a shocker uh, left back. I think he was out of position for the um, for the first goal. He's so young though. That's, you'll make he mistakes. I he doesn't, he doesn't make mistakes. Yeah. But it, that was just that's like somebody who in Chris Burke knows exactly how to play a mm. young player they in took that him position. Off. They yeah. took him off at half time. Yeah, he's he, he just he, he wasn't having a great game. Uh, somebody was saying that Chris Burke there's shapes of him potentially should be getting called back up to Scotland team. I was like at thirty five. People really? are mental. <laughs> but there was the same shape when Chris. Uh, Boyd was scoring all those goals like two seasons ago. Well, Stephen Naismith. Uh, but folks just think like they're scoring goals, they must be amazing, not thinking about where the goals have come from, how they're produced. Kilmarnock have lost four out of six um, away from home this season. No draws at all in the road, um, something they were very good at last season. But uh, it seems to me that Kilmarnock are just hitting this kind of mediocrity. They're getting good points at good moments or taking advantage of, of teams who are playing poor they're not hitting a real stride it's exactly where they should be they are they are an upper middle table team yeah. so they'll win some lose some and, and the thing is, is it's not quite as defensive as Steve Clark had it it's a bit more progressive which means you don't really have control of the defensive side they don't have players good enough to control the attacking side so you'll just middle out Let's move on to the other game on Saturday. Motherwell hosting St Johnston at Fur Park. St Johnston played the last 10 minutes against Aberdeen with nine men last Sunday after Murray Davidson and Callum Hendry were both sent off. They got lucky with a penalty, but great heart shown to get a point. I think he did well to, to see it. I, both of the tackles were absolutely horrendous, especially oh the first gosh. one from Davidson. It was one of those ones where I didn't watch the game live, but I'd, I'd heard, you know, St. Johnson two players sent off. I watched it back later, so you're expecting a tackle, but even when it came in, nothing prepared me for the first one. It's one of those ones that fortunately it didn't, but it could be a career ender. Like, you yeah. went so hard in on the ankle. It's but. The, Callum Hendry one, though... His reaction to Lewis Ferguson when Lewis Ferguson kind of grabs him and yeah. says, "What are you doing?" Because it was totally reckless. Yeah. It was hard, and, and Callum Hendry's smiling at him, and I really don't like. People might say I'm I'm a bit soft, but I'm sorry, but you shouldn't be reacting as if like I don't care. I wanted to hurt you. It was just a bit petulant and a bit childish. If you're going for the challenge and it's wrong, you should just go. Sorry, mate. That was well out of order. Which one, Davidson's or... Calm Hendry, Hendry on yeah. Lewis Ferguson. And the way he reacts to Lewis Ferguson is just wrong. Yeah, they're just fired up and it's they were getting heated at the end of the game. And, I mean, these things do happen. And, uh, I don't know, it's one of the things that's quite funny about Scottish football, but also it's one of the reasons why Scottish football doesn't produce as many good players as it should because there's still this, not Neanderthal, but something like it, mentality in the country where it's... Like, if you run the f- the hardest and you tackle the most, you are a good player. Let's talk about Motherwell. Um, there's uh, some good stats for you from our old pals at Scout. 
So on on uh, expected goals and assists, uh, Liam Polworth is the um, only, apart from Sam Cosgrove, the, old, the highest up player mm. not playing for an old firm team in terms of joint expected goals and assists. He should have 6.38, whether that's in goals or assists, doesn't matter, it's combined. Uh, but he actually only has four. Mm. So Motherwell could be even better off than they already are. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Yes, you sound really interested by it. No, I am, because I think Liam <laughs> Polworth's been a good player for, for Motherwell. To yeah, Devante Cole's not far away in 4.65. They're just they're shooting under what they should do. So well, it's, it's either bad finishing from the assister or the person... But, it's, but it's, not, it's not just that, it's them taking the lead and not holding on to it. So them, for instance, taking the lead at Hebs last Saturday, but they go on to lose. It's four defeats and six for them. Could this be the perfect game? Um, you know, St. Johnson don't have Murray Davidson, who's such an engine in that, in that midfield um, position. You know, Motherwell, who have good players in all areas of the pitch, this can be the perfect kind of catalyst to try and get their season back on track because four defeats in the last six is not good form if you're wanting to reach the top but six. But the reason they're losing is the same reason that, like, uh, like Aberdeen had to change the way they play back in the day because th- they are controlling the game with the ball and all you've got to do to stop that is drop back in a block and then hit them on the counter and you'll get joy out of it and that's what happens. And uh, So now... I mean, Stephen Robinson's made them play in a nice way. He's got lots of praise for it because it looks good, but he's not getting results out of it because they're not good enough to create with the ball. I mean, you get a lot of managers, top managers, say that the best way to create is by creating chaos and a counter-press or just hitting teams in transition. But if they're built not to work in transition, they're built to actually control the game and they don't have the players to do it, they're going to end up drawing or losing. That's what's happening. So Johnson are built to be off the ball, right? That's what they're best at. Uh, even though, like we were speaking last week... The defence is probably the weakest part and they're better going forward than they have been. I think this will be the kind of game that Motherwell will be angling for the three points. I think, I'd, when I've watched them as well, it's almost like they've, they've suffered a little bit of a lack of confidence in recent yeah. weeks as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think watching the Hibs game, I know they t- the, the leads, but then Hibs you know, kind of went back in front. There was a period where it was still 2-1 and actually we were just talking about Liam Polworth. I thought he was unlucky not to get the penalty because he was kind of bundled over in the box. Oh, but I don't know about that. I, 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 I don't know. I've seen I think you can argue in, it. I th- when I saw it in real time, I thought uh, that, could, that could be a penalty. Uh, freedom given. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I think um, they just didn't—they didn't have that confidence that they, they had in an earlier part of the season to take their chances. And I think if they'd if they pull that back to two all, I think they would have left there with a point. I don't—I don't know if Hibbs would have gone and uh, Hibbs made it look quite comfortable in the end, but. To me, I, I think it might be a bit of a confidence issue with, with Motherwell. Motherwell have better players and, and better players that can that can get the three points in this one. But um, we'll finally move to Livingston against Hamilton at the Tony Macaroni. Are Livingston looking over their shoulder a little bit? Six games without a win now, and all of a sudden they're two points off the bottom. Yeah, but their their last two games were against the Old Firm, and they've also been away to Motherwell, Hibs and Killy who probably all fancy themselves as top six teams. So I, I think they'll be looking at this one a bit like Motherwell to try and get their season back on track. Mm-hmm. What about Hamilton then? Great story in Hamilton in the BBC this week about um, Brian Rice sharing a house with John Hughes. Tell me. When they were in Inverness Calitiso. It's just funny. It's on the, the BBC website. It's a nice picture painted of how apparently Yogi's just nuts. Always talking about football, <laughs> always thinking about it. And um, the way it comes across Brian Rice is that he's obsessed with football, always reading books about not only football, but other sports. And, you know, I'd imagine coaching methods, managerial self-help type stuff. All these things that you try and get. See, like he looks like he just turns up and does football man not stuff. But actually, the amount of off the ball work, like training ground stuff at home, 
they'd live this constantly all the time. It must be mm. exhausting. <laughs> Especially you go to work and you and it's one of the hardest things is dealing with young players that aren't good enough to make the grade. But I think Rice has done quite well with the young boys that he's taken into Hamilton. Yeah. Who would be your favourite housemate who's involved in football? What who would be ideal football, for like a football ma- Yeah, football manager um friends. <laughs> I think Dick Campbell would be quite a good laugh. Dick, Cam- Dick Campbell is a flatmate. Yeah. yeah. I d- the whole idea of, of John Yogi Hughes and Brian Rice being in the same flat, it, it sounds like a bit of a, an idea that Alan Partridge might have for a TV show. Is that, is that, is that like Bottom? Remember Bottom? Yeah. <laughs> Could be. I'd yeah. have Mark McGee in anyone if he's really good. See how long it takes him to, like, oh, that's Snap. nice, but I did this. <laughs> Hamilton have been playing a lot better football under Brian Rice and was was the game against Rangers probably their best performance so far this season even though they still lost Uh, no I I, I wouldn't say their best performance they they certainly made more of a made it a more competitive fixture I think the last couple of times Rangers have visited there the last few seasons Hamilton have just never been in the game so they made it difficult I think the second half in particular they were they were pretty much the only team in it. Yeah. Rangers were poor, but it, it was down to the way that Hamilton frustrated them. They were um, quite good at holding the ball up as well. So, especially in the second half, uh, I think it was, Oakley, de- it was decent. O- Oakley and Davis as well. Yeah. I, I thought was really good, at kind of just muscling into the Rangers defenders. He didn't give them a moment's peace. So, yeah, I, I do think Levy will probably be too strong for them, especially with Levy getting home advantage. I fancy Hamilton for it. And also, there's one more thing we've got to talk about in this game, which is I want to know your opinion on it. Uh, Marios Ogbo, the striker, his number is ninety nine. Yeah. What do we think of this? So um, I I find it like so I'll be, I hate it when players so that William Gallus wing number ten. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or a right back is number two, left back number three. Stop fanning about. Do you remember when Edgar Davids at Barnet wore the shirt number one? Rui Patricio yeah. at Wolves, I think he wears like ten or something like that. Even Zidane wearing five at Real Madrid really annoyed me. It doesn't doesn't work. Zero Ali at Aberdeen, that's funny. Zero, yeah, that's allowed, and then also you've got. I think was it, um, Ivan Zamorano when he was into Milan had the number 18 and he put a little plus sign in the middle because he wanted to be number nine, but Ronaldo was there at the time. Oh, that's crap! Oh, I think that's quite good. I like that as well. I've never seen that before. Oh. I can't think of any in Scotland that really wound me up that much. Oh, I think it's is my it head. Mikey Johnson or someone's got 67 at Celtic. I don't want to Celtic. I don't know. Tierney, what was his number? It was Lisbon Lions, wasn't it? He had in something the back. like that. Yeah. I can't remember. Oh, I so don't that's 67. know. But look, we can talk about this all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll cut it short thank you JJ thank you Finn thanks to Little Kicks for our awesome theme song but most importantly thanks to you for listening because you're the most important we'll be back next Friday after a full set of midweek fixtures in the Premiership and we'll be looking ahead to the Betfred Cup final you've been listening to the Totally Scottish Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>